Hello everyone and welcome to Punk Lotto Pod, the game where no one wins. I'm your co-host Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where using a number generator and the Rate Your Music Punk charts, we pick one album and one EP at random to discuss. And um, before we get into the show, it has come to our attention that we don't have very many reviews on our iTunes page. And uh, two of the reviews we do have are less than glowing. Um, hey, look. I believe we'll... we we said we discussed the albums. We didn't say we were experts. <laughs> so, uh, one reviewer referred to us as two morons who don't know what they're talking about and don't have the taste to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And, yeah. Okay. This I sounds like a bitter this. flipper fan. <laughs> yeah. It. Um. I don't want to go. I don't normally care about bad reviews, but it, when the bad review is oh. not constructive in any way whatsoever. And personally insulting. I mean. Yeah. Uh, plus, we have, between us, we have 30 years of combined experience in the punk scene. Yeah. From going to shows, buying albums, being in bands, and writing about punk music, either on blogs or in actual print yeah blogging so, blogging in some format for i don't know a decade right <laughs> have been yeah published in a print magazine and contributed to some decent named <laughs> publications yeah. in the punk world yeah. you know i feel like so, i feel like i'm qualified to some extent but yeah, yeah. i mean no it, the nature of this podcast is to have a kind of a fun conversation uh, about, about punk. two particular albums. <laughs> so we don't, you know, look for super obscure facts to tell you because that could just be like dry, bland, encyclopedia type podcast. And yeah. I, I don't know. That's not fun for us to do. Nah. I don't think it's that fun to listen to. So if that's what you're it looking for, really... you'll be disappointed. We also don't really have the time to research in-depth multiple bands every single week. So we do cursory glances at information, but the main goal is to talk about the specific album. So I don't know. It's I don't want to get stay too long on this. I just wanted to... Um, I'm a five-star man! <laughs> I just wanted our regular listeners to, if you haven't, please go out on our iTunes page and rate and review us. It doesn't have to be much. You don't even have to have an account. You can just like type in a username you want and um, just give us a review what you think. I mean, if you don't like the show, how about I mean, you can give us some you know, constructive criticism, but I mean, things we we could do to improve it. But I mean, don't just outright be like these guys are stupid. <laughs> and also, we have regular listeners who we know don't feel that way. So or if so, then they listen to a lot of hours of podcast for no reason. <laughs> Just to be angry. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, I mean, so. and we've gotten, we have gotten feedback from regular listeners who have said, be more personal, you know, yeah. give your personal connections to this music, not so much research heavy, you know. So yeah, we've taken that into consideration in the format of our blog. So anyway, not to go... Too yeah. too long and defensive and petty or whatever. I'm not even. I'm not even mad about it. Like I'm just. It's. I'm just more. I don't know. I just I, like the I'm idea of mad. somebody. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> I'm not even mad. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyway. Anyway, what have you been up to lately, other than fuming about negative reviews? Because <laughs> that's what I did yesterday. <laughs> that's so funny. Because I I laughed at it more than anything so i had a pretty fucking rad last friday i spent all day in charlotte everything else sucked though this is just friday (laughs) yeah kind of uh (laughs) yeah that's way too true Um, (laughs) bring it down but but friday ruled i'm not gonna get into it uh the rest of the week it wasn't fun but so friday i spent all day in charlotte which normally i'd would not like because Charlotte kind of sucks. But growing up, the you you have things. alienated our Charlotte punk lis- listeners. <laughs> Whatever. 
I don't think we have very many Charlotte <laughs> Punk listeners. So. And they know. <laughs> they know. It's not really a cool town. It's just got a couple bright spots. One of those bright spots is Lunchbox Records. And I will say, Lunchbox may be my favorite record store I've ever been to. It might be even be the best I've ever been to. Anyway, I... um. I brought them a bunch of records to trade in, mainly 7 inches, just because, god, I hate 7 inches. It's such a pain in the ass format. It was a bunch of stuff. A lot of punk 7 inches I got rid of. Um, if you feel like getting up every two minutes. Yeah. Or, or if you're just going to stay standing. <laughs> yeah. And they're not even good, like, dishwashing records, because you, then you're, you have to dry your hands off every four minutes, but... <laughs> to flip it. So I traded in, and then, like... <laughs> it took me a minute. Dishwashing records. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. It's like you wash your you wash your dishes with your records. I don't understand how that works. No, it's bad bad chore. It's a bad format for chores. Yeah. Uh, so I traded in a bunch of seven inches and then like bought a bunch more things on top of that. Like I spent as much as I got in trade credit, just because why not? So I picked up quite a few cool things. I actually made. I picked up a copy of Wild Honey's Sleep Through It. Oh, nice. Uh, and a comp they were on from Slumberland Records called Continental Drift, which they had two songs on. I also picked up uh, No Pocky for Kitty by Superjunk. Nice. Grand Prix by Teenage Fan Club. Joan Jett's Bad Reputation. Pretty cool, clean copy. And a European pressing Old Fling Spite. Oh. <laughs> because I, I didn't have it, and they did an amazing job of packaging on that. And that record is fucking awesome and you should go listen to it right now. Stop the podcast. Go listen to Old Fling Spite. I promise you, it is a very, it's very, very good, criminally underlooked punk record. Overlooked? From... Underrated? Yeah, that's. Yes, I love that record so much. Full disclosure, yeah. we are friends with that band, but... And the label that put it right. out. Right. <laughs> but they're legitimately... It's, it's a great record. If you love, like, right. Sam I Am type kind of 90s-ish emo core yeah. pop punk it's it'll be right up your alley i had an eventful past week or so yeah since the last episode we recorded i met up with two different drummers you know both were pretty fun experiences pretty productive other than that i reworded my ad on craigslist once again and if you put the word shoegaze in your ad, you're only going to get responses from people that want to only play shoegaze. So, yeah. Not like, I'm not trying to play shoegaze, but there's enough of a little bit of an influence that I felt like it was worth throwing in there. But, I don't know. See where things go with one of these drummers. Cool. What else did you do? You said you did something else. Oh, right. Well, actually, I was in Charlotte all day, so I did quite a few things. I went to, I went to two record stores. Wait, and the other one wasn't very. What good, other record store is there? <laughs> Manifest. Oh, yeah. yeah, not a good record store. Um, and I went to two different bookstores. One is actually very close to Lunchbox. Um, and I'm blanking on the name of the bookstore. Shit, Book Buyers. That's what it's called. And I picked up two books uh, there. One was a Donna Tart novel, uh, and another was a true crime book. Uh, then I went to. There's a modern art museum in Charlotte. So I was like, God, I have so much time to kill. So I went there, <laughs> saw some pretty cool modern art. There's some Picasso paintings there, like three or four Picassos there, mm. which is pretty cool. And then I went to see New Japan Pro Wrestling live in Charlotte. It was the first New Japan show on the East Coast of the United States, and it was fucking amazing. It was probably the, I probably saw the best wrestling match i've ever seen in person at that show and it, it was a it was a really fucking great show so i hope i hope they come back there was issues with the japanese wrestlers getting visas because of the government shutdown so they weren't uh none of the japanese wrestlers were able to come to the show but all the uh the rest who who did perform were all amazing so so my my uh, my friday consisted of Punk, Picassos, and pile drivers. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, are you ready to get into our album? Let's do it. Our get into format. So, for this episode, we got the year 2008. And as always, we like to look at the Rate Your Music charts for punk records in that year. 
So, what are the major trends of 2008? Right off the bat, the first two albums are not albums that I had heard of at all in the year 2008. (laughs) Uh, So, definitely some sort of a retroactive uh, a bump there to the uh, the top of the list. Yeah. But getting a little further down, <laughs> we start to see what I remember of 2008 and there's a couple of there's a couple of different little trends there. Yeah. I see four four big trends going on here. Um Yeah, I'd say something about something like that. So It's the right off Well, so the the big the the biggest trend that I see, like the main overarching theme of the year of 2008, I would say this is the turning point for so many mall emo and metalcore kids <laughs> becoming real punks. Because I know that's when I became a real punk. Yeah. But looking at these albums, that, that I don't think that... I was alone in that <laughs> transition that year. Well, I noticed there. So you take the mall, the mall kids, and you branch them in two different directions. The one direction, specifically in like metalcore, this is the year deathcore kind of blew up. It looks like, and like shit, metalcore just got real, 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 real bad. And the opposite direction is when. They those metalcore kids started getting into more mm, punkier, more straight up hardcore, more thrash influenced hardcore. So like, for example, Verse and Half Heart, Defeater, all released albums. This is also when you start to see the Deathwish style of uh, like kind of crusty thrashy hardcore takeoff with Trap Them and Cursed's third album and Trash Talk. I think there's a blacklisted album that year. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the same time, you have shit like uh, Veil of Maya. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I All Shall say Perish. Yeah. 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 Man. The Acacia Strain. <laughs> Man, this year. I'm just, I'm just scrolling and seeing so many pivotal records for me. Yeah. Totally. So the other big trend I, I feel like was the birth of fest punk do you think that's an accurate and that's an umbrella term really yeah because that covers yeah that covers that covers your like latterman influence bands which we'll talk about later your noodly emo bands your well you have uh i mean you have civil war by dillinger four that year right i mean the the fest punk album (laughs) yeah yeah so much that yeah, the song Gainesville is about fest. Uh, and it's funny, that song was so prescient. Is that the right word? Yeah. Yeah, like it really, like, it was still a couple of years before, like, fest really got to its height. Yeah. This was fest seven, which was my first fest. And I think it's a lot of people's first fest. Like, it was... I think Fest 6 was such a big deal. Well, Fest 6 was so good that the organizers were like, we're going to go all in on Fest 7. And then that lineup just fucking, like, exploded. And so, and then a couple of that with Civil War came out, like, the week of Fest. And Gainesville being the theme song for Fest. Yeah. Like, you could not have timed that release more perfectly. And, yeah, it's just Off With Their Heads from the Bottom came out that year. The best off with their heads album. I know people say hospitals, and there's some debate there, but for me, it's it's from the bottom. The Fifty Nine Sound came out that year, which they're definitely Anthem's not really a fest band, but most festers like that album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then you also have like you know, there's like a Polar Bear Club record that year, and mm-hmm. um, Painted Black's new Lexicon. You get a Lemuria's get better. Yeah, 2008 is such an interesting year. I mean, there's. There's some really, really good stuff on here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, Old Wounds by Young Widows, that was a really yeah. big album for me. And then there's like, I mean, you got some Screamo. You kind of have like that that authentic, that real Screamo thing. The revival. Really starting to take off. So there's like a Loma Prieta re- 
record and there's like oh, there was something else i saw a lot of speak <laughs> rain hadn't won that year oh yeah there's like the ditro said oh. non satiata there's two off minors yeah um transistor transistor's last album yeah it's it, this year it really just looks like the year that everyone got into real punk everyone got into real screamo you know revival everyone got into real emo revival like midwest emo revival and yeah tiger's jaw self-titled came out that year and then and i i think it took a year before tiger's jaw took off but that year people were listening to that album there's a lot of like real grind and real crust and you know you know what i mean like it's just like everyone everyone suddenly realized there was way better music in Mm mm-hmm all of the other, you know, punk subgenres. I know I, mean, I did. This starts my, I mean, this starts my love, my like super devotion to like punk rock because I liked punk rock, but it was mainly older stuff at that point. Yeah. And yeah, for us it was mostly, you know, Minor Threat, Misfits, <laughs> Dead <laughs> Kennedys. Yeah. Like I in 2008, prior to 2008, we were listening to a lot of metal, a lot of metal. Um more in the post-metal vein and a lot of black metal. And then, yeah, a ton of classic punk. So it was like, and a lot of Discord punk. We were listening to a lot of Discord punk. But as far as, like, contemporary punk, we weren't really following what was going on. Just because I feel like the early 2000s were kind of dark for punk rock because it was very dominated by the leftovers of 90s pop punk, skate punk, mall punk, and really run by, like, the Warp Tour sound yeah and warp tour shifted so hard towards the mm-hmm. money making you know metalcore and emo pop punk stuff yeah it, it, so yeah 2000 i say 2008 we've said it before 2008 to 2015 are probably our favorite era of or 2013 is probably our favorite era of music i mean it lines up too because we're in our 20s then so i'm still in my 20s. but uh yeah that's right <laughs> I'm but uh <laughs> yeah so how does all of that inform our album? Uh, very much so, actually. All right. So the album we drew for this episode is number 306 on the album charts, and it is Bridge and Tunnel, and their full-length album, East West. West. I don't know how you say it when it's like that, but <laughs> East uh, West. Yeah. yeah. Uh from New York City. New York City. Uh this is their first full length album, and it was released on No Idea Records, which is very important, especially in two thousand eight. And 
the personnel on this album is Rachel Rubino and Jeff Cunningham on guitar and vocals, Tia Malinger, Malinger on bass and vocals, and Pat Schramm on drums. It's recorded by Kevin Ratterman of Elliot fame and mastered by Darren Neufer from Gunmole to make this the most fest record ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rachel played with Warriors and Open City later which Open City is Dr. Dan Yemen's uh, <laughs> most recent project. Jeff played in Slingshot Dakota, as well as Thousand Airs, the most generic Latterman knockoff you could possibly be. They're always my example of <laughs> Latterman yeah. punk. He also plays in Headlines, who we saw at Fest this year, uh, last year. Tia played in Rations, and she would leave the band before the next LP. And Pat Schramm is known for being in Latterman, Tender Defender, Day Trader, Slingshot Dakota, and Headlines. So yeah, fest is fuck. Yeah, this is so <laughs> no idea records. <laughs> yeah, the artwork, the the pedigree. Now, uh, <laughs> here's the thing that I did not expect from this album. It doesn't sound nearly as much like Latterman as I thought they sounded like. Right, right. So like the first two, three tracks are like the most Latterman sounding songs. The rest of it is very mathy and like kind of noodly a little bit. It reminded me of so before I listened to this this album, I looked, you know, I did a little bit of reading about them, um, and I saw a, a review where someone said I've seen them compared to Cursive, and I like kind of did a double take at it and it was like Cursive. They don't sound like Cursive, and then I listened to this album and I'm like. Oh, they do kind of sound like cursive. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Like, I just never, I really only knew, like, those, like, that first song on this album. And, yeah, it was, it was a surprise. It kind of reminded me a little bit, too, of, like, Casket Lottery. Uh, yeah, like, there's a big time Small Brown Bike yeah. vibe. Like later, later small brown bike albums, but then even like there's a little bit of O Pioneers on like some of the the punkier songs at the beginning of the album, mainly Jeff's vocals. Because when I went into this, I was expecting, oh yeah, it's that Latterman spinoff band that's like not as good as Iron Sheik and Reviver, and it's like, well, they also weren't trying to do the same thing they were doing, so it's not really that fair to compare them. There's hardly a what oh to be found on this album. Yeah, so. I mean they definitely do the like the Ladderman like everybody sing at once thing, mm-hmm. um, on more than just like the first couple songs. Like it's kind of it's a pretty heavily recurring approach to their vocals uh, throughout the mm-hmm. album. But yeah, it's it's funny like it this album does dabble in a lot of 2008 punk trends more than just like the the default fest punk. Yeah. There's that little bit of, of a electric jangly folk punk, which, you know, there's yeah. like a, there's that, this bike is a pipe bomb record and, mm-hmm. um, something, something Nana else. Grizzle. Yeah. Nana Grizzle. Yeah. And then there's like, yeah, there's that, uh, the little bit of noodly and some of the, some yeah. of the noodly emo stuff, like the math Rocky emo stuff with, the gang vocals really reminds me of like uh street smart cyclist or uh yeah yeah snowing and grown right. all of those bands yeah, that came I, a little I, bit later that kind of did that sound i feel like it it bridged it it was it's like a bridge album and especially when you think of like no idea records because no idea before 2008 i guess was primarily known as like the home of hot water music and against me but then, like, the smaller bands were a lot of stuff like Look Mexico and, like, a lot of more mathy-type guitar playing. and But it also bridges into the Latterman sound. And then even the twinkly sort of... I know it's, people hated the twinkly term, but, like, the noodly Kinsella-inspired stuff is there, too. So it's it, it feels like a between two worlds. Like, it's right there bridging both prominent no idea two or three prominent no idea sounds
what's your overall impression of the album? Like, what did you enjoy it or what? I didn't love it. I right there. They did some things, and the things that reminded me of Cursive, and the things that I don't like yeah. about Cursive. <laughs> the sometimes like too like smart kind mm-hmm. of uh sort of post-punk math rock really repetitive just like one little riff played repeatedly mm-hmm. uh that that those things kind of got on my nerves and graded a little bit um yeah but you know i'd say i liked it overall yeah I'd, yeah i'd say overall it was more of a positive experience um than a negative one um i didn't love it i didn't dislike it and it and it's above it's something you notice like it's not ignore you don't ignore it very easily and it's but um it's solid it's solid and i could see how someone would really like it too because bridge tunnel kind of have a following like you you'd say they have a pretty steady following i'd say right? people remember them yeah 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 i don't think they're and, a band that was just totally forgotten from this time period no and i think they remembered you know, I think they're remembered more than just a for some people as more than just a Latterman spinoff. So right, yeah. Did all of their records come out on No Idea? They did. I was just on their Discogs page. Now let me get back to it. <laughs> yeah, both both albums, um, East West and Rebuilding Year, both came out on No Idea Records. Yo Yo Records did a cassette for Rebuilding Year. Yeah, and some other EPs. And then like yeah, the EPs were all. There's one no one idea. for cover seven inch, it looks like. Yeah. It looks like it's part of one of their seven inch series. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, everything else looks like it's no idea records. Which do we want to talk about no idea first? Yeah, or actually, want- because I read an interview with Pat from Ridge and Tunnel on Punk News from like ten years ago or something. And he talked about how great no idea records was yeah like and i i specifically noticed the way that he said you know it's so great working with them because there's like no contracts and you know it's just like you're working with your friend and you can just call them up and talk to them and they're not trying to sign you to like a three album deal or anything like that and i'm like yeah it's the handshake agreement punk label Right. Like, isn't that what it's supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) Yet, now everyone hates No Idea because they had gentlemen's agreements, (laughs) handshake agreements, my word is bond agreements (laughs) with all these bands that they worked with who are saying, who think that there's tons of money that's been pocketed. And I... I don't believe that. <laughs> it was money that, that got put into putting out records that did not sell. <laughs> right. Cuz if you for every, you know, reinventing Axl Rose, there's a Unitas album <laughs> or you know, you know, for every Hot Water Music, there's a Tim version record that probably didn't need to be pressed on. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's the issue. I don't think that the bands... I think the bands are mistaken who call out No Idea specifically. And really, I can only think of one band in particular. But I know some others have... But they call them out for, like, holding back money. It, and I, I just don't think that there's money there. I think every dollar that record label made went right back into the record label. I mean, they had to sell the... the, the fe- you know... Well... I, I don't know if they sold it, but they had to move out of the Fest House. Yeah. Like, they couldn't... I, the No Idea House... It's just like um, I don't how anti DIY, how callously, blatantly, uh, self serving is it to shit on the label that has distributed almost every single punk record released in the last ten years and has yeah. given opportunities to bands that no one else would have. <laughs> that right. I don't know. That's that was to me it seemed like following like the discord model of just putting money back into the punk community at the very grassroots yeah but give me my t-shirt money i don't know yeah that 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 bothered me the most you should have had a contract it's 
Yeah, I mean, if that was what you were concerned about. And I don't imagine No Idea just did stuff without asking permission first. Like, they lost the Hot Water Music records. Like, they don't have them anymore. So if they... Who who was right? Was it Rise who has them yeah. now? Like who, who did the last round of represses? Like no idea announced that this was going to be like their last round. Whenever they did it, they did them. So yeah, I I don't know. Has Against Me ever said anything negative about No Idea Records? I don't remember if I don't know. I don't remember if they chimed in at all on that controversy. There may have been something in passive, in passing, that was saying like, yeah, we didn't see a lot of money from them i don't i just don't think there was the money well at some point there was i mean for a band like against me well, those records were selling yeah yeah of course at yes at some point but i still feel like it was just used to i wonder how much of they paid for recording wise too for other bands probably not much i don't feel like they were that type of label no i don't i don't think so but i don't know anyway yeah we digress right. so yeah so it's a it's a interesting. I don't know quite what else to say about this album. My favorite track is probably the very first track, Wartime Two Veneers. Yeah. I do like that they had um, three different singers in the band, and two of them were women. Um, Rachel and Tia both do vocals, and then uh, Jeff does vocals. And I don't know how many songs each person sang, but I thought that was really cool and fitting with Latterman's like stance on women and punk rock and how they need to be heard. Yeah, how it's perfectly fitting and inclusivity um, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of a lot that I, I think about a lot that I didn't like either. Um, I checked out a couple of their other releases, and I think I liked the self-titled EP the most that uh, came out in 2007 because it was a little less mathy, and I think that's my that's where I'm more hung up on. It's like I don't I don't listen to a ton of mathy stuff anyway, so I lean towards the popular tracks on the album. Um, this album, as I was listening to it, it it got me thinking. It got me on maybe like a thinking about like a post genres and mm-hmm. how they all tend to be kind of like the same approach just applied to a different subgenre like post punk and post metal and post rock. It's mostly just like going really long on one simple idea. <laughs> and that's kind of like the <laughs> defining trait of all of the post genres. And it got yeah. me thinking like, is there a post emo equivalent to that or is emo Hmm. too much of a deviation on on the basic structure and formula of punk that it's kind of its own form of post-punk well the only example 
the only examples I could think of are some of the some of the weirder emo bands like like Coheed and Cambria. Like they do that where they spend too long on certain <laughs> things and that's a prog rock thing. Yeah. Right? And then like say anything kind of does a lot with that, but then a lot of that's almost like concept yeah. work. My Chemical Romance did that with concepts. Yeah. Is um, it cuz there's I don't I I feel like maybe it's like the Kinsella. Yeah, that has thing. to be it. The American football inspired noodling. But the trend that popped up that you embraced that sound specifically were all real short concise sounds like snowing and Algernon. Yeah. And, you know. So they did a lot of tapping, but it wasn't masturbatory. Like, weren't just sitting there just hammering on over and over <laughs> and over and over again. Just, you know? Yeah. But I guess it's once you start to get, like, to the bands that do lean closer to American football, like, what, like your Caravels or your... Uh, I don't know. I, yeah. I, mean, I guess there's something intrinsic to the to emo that it's, it's hard to get uh, to like detached mm-hmm. and and still call it emo you know you can't you can only be yeah. so disaffected before it's just yeah a totally different genre well, it feels like it it stops being genuine too and if you, one thing is about emo is it does tend to be about your emotions and it's very difficult to fake that and then the only time you do you wind up with silly stuff yeah like like say anything and like oh this is a concept song about yeah yeah <laughs> well anyway what would you rate this album i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um i guess my gut reaction would would be 3.5 3.75 see i say 3.75 as well it's not something i'm yeah gonna go back to really and it's not a band that yeah. i can I guess I wouldn't say that I feel like I missed out on them. No, I don't feel like I did either. I don't feel like because they they have an album, um, they have a live at Fest Nine album and like or EP, and I don't even feel like I should, like care that I'm not there for that. You know, yeah. <laughs> like they were always in my mind. My my whenever I think Bridge and Tunnel, I think oh the Latterman band that's not Maddie or Phil. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's, it's for, a band. It's reduction. Yeah, it's a band name that comes up when you think of like Young Livers or who they like, split with, or yeah, just a lot of the bands that were on Fest lineups. Yeah, between two thousand eight and two thousand ten. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, do we want to dive into more twinkly, uh, mathy, <laughs> yeah, emo? Let's do that. Hardcore. Let's do that. So, we got number 128 on the EP charts, and it is Native, and their EP, We Delete, Erase.
So if I'd have known that that Bridge and Tunnel album was so noodly, oh wait, I'm giving away the fact that we choose albums here. Mm, ignore this part. <laughs> I'll let me rephrase yeah. it. So I didn't expect to be doing two noodly. You're albums. not gonna edit this out. Just <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, don't. Oh, maybe not now. Now that you've added in this side note, uh, I didn't expect to do two noodly albums on this episode. No, I didn't. I thought with Bridge and Tunnel we were going to get more Latterman style, and that album is maybe a third yeah. Latterman, two thirds Noodley. So I thought um, we were going to I thought we were going to talk about something more distinctly gruff pop punk. Yeah, yeah. So Native, let's run through some basics. Are from Valparaiso, Indiana. I think it's Northwest Indiana. And the personnel is Daniel Evans on guitar, Edward O'Neill on guitar and vocals. Bobby Marcos on bass and vocals, and Nicholas Glasson on drums. I've always thought of um, them as like a Chicago band, so I assume they're from like a northwest yeah. Indiana town, Chicago suburb. Yeah. Uh, this was a self-released EP, uh, and then was later reissued by Sergeant House, who released their um, two full lengths. Yeah, it's weird that this is a Sergeant House release, and not, or that their later stuff were sergeant house albums and not what i would have thought they would be and Mm -hmm. top shelf records did do a repress i believe of wrestling moves um they did yeah it looks like they did most of the vinyl pressings of wrestling moves so did sergeant house primarily do the cd yes on that album looks like it (laughs) um what else does sergeant house do that's such a mystery label to me it's a it's an LA based Red label. Sparrows. Yeah, Red Sparrows. That's what I was gonna say. It was something like post rock. Russian Circles, Mutoid Man, Chelsea Wolf, Dylan Carlson, Woven Hand. This is not the label that Native should have been on. Death Haven. Well, so like Native Native kind of does the more detached, obtuse, uh, <laughs> kind of musing math rock. It's a little more Terramelos than it is Algernon Cadwallader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and this album especially, yeah, yeah. I feel like because overall, I didn't have a lot of fun listening to this one. Not that it's bad, it's just it's not a style I go to very often. And I feel like their album, their two full lengths were more enjoyable because they embraced the more screamo elements. yeah. That they only kind of hint at with Weed Elite Erase. But like wrestling moves, I always consider Native a Screamo band. Like a Matthew Screamo yeah. band. Yeah, I really liked wrestling moves. When that album mm-hmm. came out, like I remember getting into that not long after it came out. And and that would have been, yeah, I mean, that would have been kind of like my peak math rock, Screamo, emo type listening. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, this album really reminds me of, or Native in general, it really reminded me of Victor Fix the Sun. Mm-hmm. Like that type of screamo, emo, math stuff? Yeah, which that reminds me of something that I wanted to say about Native. Listening to this EP and thinking about that band reminds me of other bands that were coming out of like the Chicago, Michigan area, that Midwest mm-hmm. scene, and mm-hmm. how I wish bands like Jowls, which was uh, the post Victor Fix the Sun, or uh, mm-hmm. Brighter Arrows, had gotten more recognition. The kind yeah. of bands that, you know, played shows with Native frequently. Yeah. Um, but never really got quite the same level of recognition. Yeah, I feel like the only ones that were along that lines that did get that attention were what, Lock Tender, maybe? Even even then not much. They just kinda stuck around. Yeah. Or the one I'm always lamenting that didn't do more was Castavet. Right. Right. They made two fucking incredible albums and then one go- really great single. Yeah, the the when they changed their name to CSTVT, <laughs> yeah, and did that picture disc single, which was great. But I was like, oh, I can't wait for the album. And then they never had one after that. Someone in that band <laughs> went and became a doctor or something. Uh, it kind of <laughs> ended it. And then like, I'm pretty sure the rest of that band are what the backing band for into it over it yeah so that brings up this so bobby 
Marcos in Native also plays in Stay Ahead of the right. Weather with Evan Weiss, who was into it over it, which also has other Castavet guys. So yeah, it's it the connection to Castavet is there. They you know have shared projects, and then Bobby also plays in Cloakroom, who or did I don't know if he's still in the band, but they were trying to inhabit that failure hum sound at first. I don't know if the, the later material quite does that, but um yeah like i i think i said this maybe on our shoegaze episode cloakroom often gets con- sort of miscategorized as shoegaze when they're right yeah. they're more recent uh like further out that album reminds me of uh so- sounds like stoned pedro the lion <laughs> yeah yeah this is like the the opposite side of the coin of the 2008 emo trend so if the genre had gone in a more serious direction, then it would have been... I wonder... So, if they had embraced the more native aspect, would Twinkly... Twinkly shit have, <laughs> uh, as it was fondly referred to, had a longer life? Or, like... Because I kind of feel like the like bands like Ape Up or Prawn... <laughs> Ape Up. <laughs> kind, of, ...kind of hurt the legitimacy of the Twinkly emo... Yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, Native is kind of, though, like, it's the emo that, like, Pelican fans listen to. It's the brown pants emo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess they could have taken their places in, like, the the pitchfork, you know, put out an album every couple years, play three shows a year. (laughs) kind of approach they have one show coming up in february i didn't even know they were still a band but apparently they have a show coming up soon yeah or did everyone else figure out oh there's only so many ways we can tap (laughs) without being like actually phenomenal guitar players you know what i mean yeah i mean is that is that why that trend really died it's because too many too many golfers popped up (laughs) just not enough uh yeah not enough real solid songwriting too too much navel gazing like, like your bands like dads and you blew it went garagier fuzzier with their sound they kind of slowed down with the noodling well yeah what did i I've, I've probably said it before but all the emo kids started smoking weed and yeah yeah just want to do like <laughs> sad stoner slacker rock yeah they they, they aren't freaking out as much <laughs> mm even still, though, yeah, um, I, there are bands that are doing that that'll pop up from time to time and do some some alternate tuning, tappy emo. and Yeah. It's always weird when they do pop up. Yeah. Because I'm like, what? What are you doing here? Um, free throw? <laughs> you know that sound died. And then American Football comes back together and releases an album. Yeah. Which, have you heard the new songs? Ooh, they're not I good. don't like classic <laughs> American football, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I went, so I didn't love this EP, but I went back and re-listened to Wrestling Moves to see if I was wrong about liking Native back originally, and I still really yeah, like that album. I did so, the same thing. I think <laughs> they just got better over time, which is fine. This just a, was a self-released CD, and then they got signed, and it was pressed on vinyl, and when they got signed at Sargent House.
Hassan made it. Really? Why? Yeah, they played Crazy Fest 2011. Oh, yeah. The Crazy Fest. The doomed Crazy Fest. So, I don't really remember much about their set other than they were good. Like, I remember they were enjoyable. Uh, they played on, they had a smaller side stage that they only used at the beginning of the day. So, like, while they were still setting up the bigger stages, the two larger stages, they had a small stage where people could get in and out really quick. And they would only use that for, like, the first two or three hours of the day. And they were good, but they didn't leave a huge impact on me. Man, but it made me think about Crazy Fest, and I was like, I wish it had continued. Because it was the most laid-back music festival I've ever been to. Like, there were just three stages, and only two would be used, like, simultaneously. But they wouldn't even be simultaneous. They would be Hot Water Music finished playing, and then you go across the parking lot to the other stage, and Bouncing Souls start playing. Like, it was that kind of festival, where it's that, who was it? There's, like, some old Discord band that talked about, they would take turns alternating between songs and then like so people would watch a band would play a song and then everyone would turn around to the other side of the room and the other band would play a song then they would turn back around it felt like that in set format mm-hmm. like you just you just walked across the parking lot and uh you could it's the only fest that you could like literally see every single band who played and you didn't have to watch everybody either you know there were plenty of bands on that festival that i didn't see it wasn't very crowded so that may be why they never did another fest crazy fest one of the downsides that that weekend was it one day it rained like really bad for a long time and so they had one stage that was like inside and like this hangar type thing and another stage was outside so they had to move all the bands to the inside indoors one and weirdly it didn't affect the schedule very much so i guess they just like broke down got them in and out real quick but um, that was the Crazy Fest 2. It's kind of an infamous show because that's the year I think Self-Defense Family got a like, reputation. Blew up. Yeah. So they organized the Bane at a strip club show. Dane. Yes. They were famously called Dane on the marquee. It was like Bane, Self-Defense Family, Fireworks, <laughs> and one other band all played in the strip club. And I didn't go... Because me and my friends went to like a Hampton Inn Holiday Inn pool party show <laughs> where mixtapes and Mike Yurg played acoustic while people swam in the pool. <laughs> and that goes to show you what kind of punk I am. <laughs> oh, I don't want to go to the strip club. <laughs> Even though that was the more famous right. one. And now I kind of wished I'd gone just to be like, yeah, I was at that fucking disaster. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, the dancers still danced while the bands played. Yeah. And then all the all the punks, they had to, I think it was, like, a two-drink like a two drink minimum type oh, deal. So, like, all the punks had went up to the counter and bought, like, Pepsis and waters. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. I'm sure that venue was like, what the fuck? Or that strip club. Yeah. Not really a venue. It was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. That, hmm. Yeah, we don't have to dig into that one. <laughs> I was trying to think yeah. of how to... How should that show have been received? <laughs> was it, like, edgelordy? Was it, like... Yes, it was organized by Pat from was it family. It was completely edgelordy. You know, genuinely trying to be sex positive. I think it was both. Yeah. Because the it's thing is... edgy under the guise of sex positive. the thing is, the dancers at that club probably did not benefit very greatly from that show. So no. I feel like you probably just made a shitty, most likely abusive club owner <laughs> a little bit richer. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, way, way off topic. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it was related. I felt like I was... When's it, when's it ever going to come up? When's a crazy... Unless they cover another band I saw yeah. at Crazy Fest, but... That was also the year Tiger's Job blew really big. And then imploded. So. Um, <laughs> soon after. That was before Two so Worlds much, came out. So much of this stuff imploded. You know? Like, yeah. We talked about like the the Twinkle Daddy noodle. Mm-hmm. What was the other term? Glitter mommy. <laughs> mommy. Um, no- noodle tweens. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Twinkle shit. I remember having a discussion with... 
couple members of uh, Muscle and Bone, and they so hated the Twinkle Daddy thing. Like they, they were like, "It's so reductive." Yeah. I think it was. It was. It was. Kinsella worship is probably less insulting. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, that that exploded. Um, I guess the 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 emo revival kind of stuck around, but like Latterman Punk's pretty much dead yeah. now. Other than Iron Sheik and Reviver and right, Tender Defender occasionally. Right. Yeah. Fest punk, as the term doesn't really refer to anything, anyone sound anymore. So, like, um, like your uh, top shelf records, are, are, are they still much of a thing? Mm-hmm. They still release music. Let's see. Bellows. Yeah. Toe. <laughs> a lot of Jap- <laughs> represses of Japanese emo bands. Um, Toe, Mouse on the Keyboard, and Trico are all repressed on. Yeah. Yeah. Rat Boys. Rat Boys are probably their only yeah. valuable band, I guess. A great big pile of leaves. Relevant band. They tried to redo it with Special Explosion, but they didn't really take off. Prawn stuck around over there. Yeah. Del- they tried to make Del Paxton a thing. I mean, they did uh, They did some Wild Honey stuff. Yeah. they do a, that, that Heat record is really great. They did that date that last what are, danger. What are record. the other what are the other big labels from this time period? Well, Run for Cover yeah. was and No Sleep. Has has Run for Cover um, um like have they worn out everyone's patience with their lackluster seven inch series that take <laughs> forever? What I, are, don't, I don't know. I'm are are they still doing that like, series? With the phase, Fiddlehead. Yeah, they have they have Mac Taverscan and Self Defense Family and Citizen. Weirdly, they're the ones who took up Me Without You. Yeah. They they have Camp Cope. That's kind of their thing now. Oh, they did Pine Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't do the full the second one. That's something. Man, I was so annoyed when I saw Pine Grove on some best of lists. I was like, what the fuck is wrong yeah. with you? Not woke nope. punks. That Pine Grove record was really great. Was it? Yeah. So so great that you had to get tattoos of it. You can, you know, you can just listen to the sidekicks and the weaker bands <laughs> and so many better yeah. bands. I enjoyed that record. It was one of my favorites that year. But yeah, but you don't want to listen to it now. No, I can't. I can't listen to it. Well, yeah, no, sl- no sleep. Kind of. I don't know what happened there. No sleep's like. What do they put out now? Daisy Head. Living with yeah, it hands. seems like all the labels that cut their teeth on the emo screamo revival thing like got embarrassed. It really <laughs> does seem like that. They were like, "Oh, now we we need to sign bands that like say they're influenced by Superchunk or yeah, I don't know." I mean, the labels like Protagonist, they just quit releasing yeah. records. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Count your lucky stars and <laughs> Though, to be fair, Kang of Lucky Stars was doing the emo thing before everyone else was. Yeah. Before it became trendy. And then they cashed in for a few years and they quit too. What was the record they were promising to do forever and ever and ever and never did? Hmm. I don't know. There was one that like, they talked about for years, but it never happened. I don't know. Cast of that follow-up? I don't know. No, we'd ask a for vinyl a pressing person. of Summer Fences on yeah. vinyl. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then never, never did it. <laughs> I'm sure he was like, no, nah, they're not, they're not going to be a band much longer. So I'm not going to put money into it. But if, hey, if you run Count Your, Luck- Count Your Lucky Stars records, um, I'll still buy that Summer Fences record if you put it on vinyl. I yeah. I promise you. Yeah, they could sell it. They could do a 300 copy pressing and sell it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. What would you rate this well, native EP that we barely talked about? Right, right. Well, every song did sound the same. So you talk about one, you talk about them all. My favorite song was What Are You Dylan in My House? <laughs> yeah, that's the only one that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I'd give it a 3.25. See, okay, okay. We'll talk about this. They do that. that they do that thing. Alpakistan. Flash dance. What are yeah. you dealing in my yeah. house? Ride the tide. Hey, man, hook me up, do. Like, <laughs> hook me up, do. Something about goofy, meaningless, Terramellos word salad. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I yeah. three, three point two five. I enjoyed it's it to some bad. extent. It's not. 
it sounds yeah. enough like their later stuff, which I do enjoy. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we can wrap things up here and uh, talk about what we do ne- what we're doing next week. Um, so on the Rate Your Music charts, we got the year 1988. And for albums, we got number 152, and it is Swizz by Swizz. Total cool, total power. And uh, our EP is number 158, and it's Cringer, and their EP, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. Which, if you're playing along at home, if you want to listen to the Swizz album, you have to do it on YouTube, unfortunately. Uh, you can also get the Cringer album on YouTube, or you can listen to it as the final six tracks on... Let me find the name. On Spotify, on their album, Tiki Tiki Timbo, No Saw Rimbo, Cherry Berry Ruchi Pip Perry Pimbo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So A look at an often forgotten year. Yeah. A very, very, 80. very heavily overlooked period of punk. The latter 80s. We'll, di- mm. we'll uh, discuss that more next week. Right. So continue following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're at Punk Lotto Pod. Nobody interacts with us on Facebook and Twitter, but uh, <laughs> our, our Instagram does well. So it's probably the most enjoyable uh, social media to use. Um, we have an email address. It's punklottopod at gmail.com. Um, and our website is punklottopod.simplecast.fm. All our episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Um, please go do some ratings on Throw iTunes. Us a bone. Um, tell those, tell those old man nerd <laughs> punks to uh, that you don't agree with their opinion. And if you do, don't call us morons. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I guess that'll do it for us. I mean, we have to end this with a five star man. Though. I'm a five star man. <laughs>